A parent who has dementia and has difficulty with buttoning clothes or using utensils. A partner who has PTSD from the visible and invisible wounds of war. Today, there are nearly 40 million adults in the U.S. caring for an adult loved one, and they need more support than ever before. I'm your host, Laura Evans, and in this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health, we're looking at the caregiver landscape and what we can do to better address the needs of family caregivers across the country. This episode of The Next Big Thing in Health is brought to you by Accenture, helping health insurers transform with intelligent automation. What does it mean to be an intelligent payer? To find out how your organization can apply artificial intelligence to achieve meaningful change, visit Accenture.com backslash AHIP. And follow hashtag intelligent payer on Twitter and LinkedIn. Also, be sure to visit Accenture.com backslash AHIP to download the free Intelligent Payer Survival Guide. Today's guest is Susan Reinhardt, Senior Vice President and Director of the AARP Public Policy Institute. Thanks for coming on the show, Susan. Let me take it back in the beginning. Want to find out, you know, what your passion for healthcare is? What what fueled that passion, and more specifically, your focus on the issue of caregiving? So I am a registered nurse, and I started uh, in a VA hospital in East Orange, New Jersey, where I had a lot of people with disabilities. And then six months after that, became a visiting nurse, which is my real passion. So going into people's homes to deliver care. And as soon as you do that, you are working with family caregivers. And that was my first introduction to the fact that even though you're the registered nurse, you are the visitor, literally. (laughs) And they are the experts, and you're leaving. You're only coming and going, and they are going to be there dealing with whatever it is that they're dealing with. What, what shocked you most or interested you most about that experience and the complexities of caregivers, the, it the, was the difficulties, that, the challenges for caregivers? It was that I was there usually to teach them something. Mm-hmm. So some cases you might be able to take care of it all in a couple of weeks and the person is all better and that's fine. More typically, they're somebody with a chronic condition. You have to teach how to give an injection or how to do wound care, colostomy care, all kinds of technical things that I had taken several years to learn how to do. And that was the most shocking thing to me, that the expectation is that I, a brand new nurse, basically, was going to teach somebody who was not a nurse or a nursing student or anybody who ever wanted to learn any of this how to do it, and not on a stranger, but on someone that they love, typically, someone they're going to see every day. So that relationship is very different than a professional, say, in a hospital. Uh, and they are, you know, they look scared, yeah. basically. Yeah. Well, you have an interesting perspective on this, too. And I know that there are millions of Americans who are falling into that role of caregiver. In fact, a 2015 study um, of about shows that about 17% of adults ages 18 and older, or 39.8 million adults in the United States, were caring for an adult loved one. And as baby boomers age... Yes, it's going to keep increasing. And we'll do another study next year to update that data. But we expect uh, they actually could be less, in a sense, fewer caregivers because families are shrinking. And what that would mean is that fewer caregivers are doing even more. So we're kind of you know, anxious to see what the data will show us. But it won't be dramatically smaller, okay. we don't expect. It's, it's millions of people. And it's, uh, and it's of all ages. And I think that's really important that we know that one in four is a millennial. 
We hadn't been thinking about that until that 2015 study where we really looked at ages. And I was blown away by that, that one in four is a millennial, right? And, and now we have even more data about millennials and people of all generations. We're trying to really unpack this idea of the average caregiver, which when you do that is of course like a 48 year old woman, typically a white woman caring for her white mother. That is the average, but that's changing so much with the aging of the population and the growing need for family caregivers of all ages that we see uh, multicultural aspects. We see, uh, I said the one in four millennial, 40% are men. This is not just a woman's issue. And they are, they are doing a lot of different things. I'm interested in this complex care, but they're doing financial aspects of care. They are um, dealing with so many different doctors and nurses and therapists. This, this care coordination becomes incredibly difficult. What a strain for the, fam for the entire family. The entire family, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and, and it seems that this is an important conversation to be ha had right now because these numbers are looking like they're gonna be booming. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you wrote in a recent blog that we know that family caregivers provide help with activities such as bathing and dressing, shopping, cooking, and preparing meals. We also ask caregivers to do things that would make even nursing students tremble. You, you mentioned that a little bit ago. You go on to say that it's important that we understand the scope of this new normal. So enlighten us, Susan, on what, why family caregiving today is so different than it was in the past. What is this new normal? Well, people are living with multiple chronic conditions, which changes the nature. I mean, I think families have always cared for ill family members. They have, you know, for centuries, we've been doing that. So that's part of a normal expectation, I guess, of families. What is different is that now there's more technology. There's so many more medications. So you don't just take one pill, you take 10 pills and you get injections on top of that. You might get an intravenous injection and eye drops, ear drops, patches. There's all new kinds of things. I mean, it was only in the 40s we got penicillin. Right, you know, I so know we forget. If you really think about it, you know, this is all new that we would expect this. Never mind more um, wound care, more, I mean, it's good. It's good news. We have more solutions, more medical technology, more ways of helping people manage their chronic conditions and live longer. That is and a live caretaker longer. makes your head spin. Absolutely. And and so it doesn't come with a registered nurse that's going to be doing this or a doctor or a physical therapist. So it just, it's in a way I think of it as, you know, that frog in the water and you turn up the heat and yeah. it boiling as opposed to dropping someone in. Many people, this is not an immediate shock. It's like growing and it grows and it grows. And before you know it, it's really taking up 20 plus hours of their lives on top of work. Mm -hmm. Most family caregivers are working and they're doing 20 plus hours. Wow. That is really eye-opening. So it's, of course, not only stressful for the caretakers, but historically, and you sort of alluded to this before, but historically, these caretakers haven't really been considered part of the healthcare team. No. Um, how do we change that? We really have to change that because they are the primary caregivers, not just for long-term care, but you know, any hospitalization, you come back and you typically have to do something. And you're the, your family member. By the way, when I say family, I could mean neighbor, friend. Okay. Doesn't have to be a relative, but someone that's close enough to you and willing to do this unpaid work. <laughs> so we call them family, right? Yeah. So, um, so, so trying to get them to be recognized by the healthcare professionals, social service professionals is really a big deal. Most family caregivers, in research I've done for many now decades now, qualitative research as well as quantitative research, 
they say they feel invisible. My own husband had that experience when he was in there with his father. And when he would go to the desk, nobody would pay any attention to him. It's just like they would just run around, nobody. And then when they needed him for the health insurance number or when are you going to take him home or something like that, all of a sudden he was visible. Mm -hmm. And he just felt this like veil kept coming up and down. How does that affect the caregiver when they're they're feeling invisible like that? Well, first of all, they, they worried. They're very worried about what the expectations are. They're a little confused about, you know, who are you? Why don't you recognize me? And they they feel that they aren't permitted to ask questions, that they're not, they're visitors. Mm -hmm. They're just visitors, but they're more than visitors. (laughs) Well, yeah, and their work isn't validated. Exactly, yes. how how do we change that? Are there systems that are starting to become in, in place that will help you know acknowledge these caregivers and make them part of the right. healthcare team? So of course there's part of what AARP wants to do, which is get the word out, and this is important. But there's also system changes that I, I think that many people who might be listening to this are quite aware of. So as we are trying to reduce hospitalizations, reduce admissions to hospitals, not have people readmitted you have to rely on others to do this care with you. So that is automatically, I think, opening a window into, oh, we better make sure before these people go home that they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's a driver of this. In managed care, the idea that you are capitated, that you have a certain amount of money to, let's take long-term care, then you really do have to make sure this family caregiver is staying on the job, is what I like to say, Mm -hmm. or that individual might wind up in a nursing home which is going to cost the plan a lot of money. So there's lots of different policy triggers that um, make it more complicated for family caregivers, but also open the opportunity to be recognized and be part of the team. But we're really working hard to, to get that recognition out there. And when you talk about the need to support caregivers in, in a more um, meaningful way, what is it beyond what you're just what you just said? Are, is, are there other things that we can do to support our caregivers? Well, first of all, in the recognition area, it's within. I'm going to use the hospital as an example because we now have the Care Act. This is the Caregiver Advise, Record, Enable, which was the result of the research we did in 2012, saying there's a problem here. We designed, we meaning ARP and state offices, designed a model bill to say anybody of any age that goes into a hospital must be asked if they have a family caregiver, in so many words. You have somebody who's gonna be taking you home, that's gonna be helping you, and then if the person says yes, and they want to, they can have that person or individual's name in the health record. That puts you into the team. That makes it possible for you to be pulled right through the care plan, through the electronic health record. And then you need to be asked if you are going to be doing anything, do you need instruction in doing this? And you need to be notified as soon as possible when the person's gonna be discharged so you can get ready to be able to do that. And I would imagine there are tools and training and more technology available to help with with the support? There isn't a whole lot. So we are also trying to pump the space in that, get other people involved. We created a Home Alone Alliance of organizations that are interested in trying to fill this gap between what we expect people to do and what we instruct them or help them, guide them in doing. So we, ARP, is creating these videos showing family caregivers to actually how do you do an injection or an eardrop or a colostomy, or how do you even help somebody out of a car without breaking their leg? 
How do you help them up and down the stairs? We did that with the Veterans Administration. So we have lots of partners that are working with us to fill this gap. And we hope that others will make videos and other resources. We don't feel we have to do it all, but we have learned with lots of conversations with family caregivers what it is you should put in a video and what you shouldn't. So like you should never say this is gonna be easy. Because yeah, that automatically, it's <laughs> right, it's, it's, well, now I can't ask you a question because you just said it's going to be so easy. So we're trying to really role model and explain in tip sheets and articles that go into journals and what have you, what are the do's and don'ts of creating these resources, not yeah. to mention different languages. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's, yeah, that's a lot. And the aging in place phenomenon is, I mean, people want to stay home. They yes. want to be where they are comfortable. Absolutely. And more and more people are choosing to age in place. Um it's, it's important to recognize that for many chronically ill people, um, family caregivers are the primary care coordinators. Um, how can managed care programs better recognize um, and involve the family caregiver? So we've done a couple of studies about managed care, the first one being long-term services and supports, the managed care organizations that are working for pe with people who have long-term care needs, typically under Medicaid. But we also look at Medicare Advantage plans and what is happening with family caregivers. So there is new policy from the budget, from the federal budget, that is opening the door to make things more flexible for plans to support family caregivers. This is huge. Mm -hmm. This is the first time this has ever happened. So plans can offer respite care. They can offer more instruction, more training, counseling, um, adult daycare. There's more things that are gonna be open to them, but we have found that very few are doing it yet because it's brand new. And there isn't a lot of guidance from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services yet, but we expect next year, 2020, for more guidance to be delivered and even more flexibility. So you can have you know, different kinds of assistive technologies paid for under Medicare. So that's gonna be a brand new world. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, would there be kind of hands-on training where somebody could come into the house and show you how to do this stuff? Yes, I think that is possible. The plans would have to decide what they wanna do or partner with community-based organizations that could do that or visiting nurse associations. Mm -hmm. But also the area agencies on aging are starting to ramp up more support. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I am emphasizing the complex technical care, but there's also dementia. You know, how do you manage disruptive behaviors? There are tricks, there's evidence-based practices on what to do to reduce the stress of working with somebody who has dementia and understanding how to communicate better with them when they keep repeating questions and what have you. So that has existed for years. In fact, more research around dementia than any other aspect of caregiving. But it, they tend to sit on the shelf. So how do we take that knowledge that is very well researched and very successful and get it out into the hands of family caregivers? Managed care organizations can help do that. Yeah. And can, is there, are there innovations that the managed care plans are, are using to support the family caregivers who are caring for loved ones who have long-term services and supports, the LTSS yeah, needs? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the first thing, there's a couple of states that started this. Tennessee was the first one we worked, and actually we've been pushing this, can we have an assessment? Mm -hmm. Can we start with, oh, you're the family caregiver, how are you doing? And yes, you can have many, many questions or at least a conversation about what are you doing? How are you doing? Are you taking care of yourself? Because the next thing that happens is the caregiver becomes the secondary patient, which has long been studied, that we have to, they don't take care of their own health. 
They don't get their own mammograms or, or you know, physicals in general. They're not eating. They're not sleeping as well. Any so, mom listening to this says, yes. okay, I understand you that. You got that, right? <laughs> yeah. So what can, can, what can we do to encourage the caregiver to take care of himself or herself? Mm-hmm. And sh- how do you do that? Well, first it's to acknowledge that the work that they're doing is really, really important. And to say, you know, put your own oxygen on first. You know, it's really important that you sleep. And, and paying attention to the needs of, of the two of them. And it's, there may be more than two. But what is the family dealing with? Now, this is often a social service professional that can help with that, those dynamics, rather than, say, the physician or the surgeon. So it does take a variety of professionals and non-professionals. I mean, there's support groups of family caregivers that can help. Employers are starting to, you know, make connections to those support groups because they are worried, particularly about their millennial caregivers that are their, you know, workforce now and into the future. Uh, So the more we can offer, first of all, just talking about it. People feel very isolated, socially isolated, particularly younger family caregivers, Mm -hmm. because you don't expect a 25-year-old to be dealing with all of these things. I call it life interrupted. They often, you know, they're, they're a question. They don't think anyone else is doing this but them. Because right. you don't go to a party and say, gee, you know, how's your mother <laughs> in that way? Right. And so they, they think they're alone in it. And we are working hard to get them to talk to each other. Even though we are ARP, 50 plus, but these are people who are, frankly, the caregivers of many of our members. Yeah. Right? And how, how do the caregivers know where to go for this kind of resource and information? Is it coming from managed care? Is, it, is AARP doing more of an outreach effort? We are. We do have a caregiver resource center that is online at aarp.org caregiver that is uh, available to people of any age. And we're, we're trying to get that out. We have uh, prepare to care. These are guide, you know, just tips on what to do when you become a caregiver. We're trying to get that out to employers, through hospitals, through, through community-based organizations. So getting the word out is really important and we're trying to find different ways to do that. Of course, make things online, not just in print, make them different languages, mm-hmm. culturally appropriate. Is that something that managed care plans should also be doing? Yes, and, mm-hmm. and we can give it to them or they can create their own, but they do need to get the word out because family people do not see themselves as a family caregiver caregiver. They are a daughter or a son or a husband or wife and they, you know, they think this is what I'm supposed to do. Although most family caregivers in our research say they have no choice. Mm. They do not believe they have a choice. And frankly, the older they do are, they? well, if you're a 70 or 75 year old woman who's taking care of her husband, you know, the expectation is that's what you're supposed to do. Even their own children don't pop in because, hey, mom and dad, they're supposed to take care of each other. So changing the dynamic, uh, the conversations around that is important. And getting adult children to ask their mother and father how they're doing is important before it really becomes a crisis. And then it really does become the child's, the adult child's problem. Yes, these are great points. What would you say, since this podcast is called The Next Next Big Thing in Health, what is the next big thing in caregiving, Mm -hmm. would you say? Well, many people would say technology. Can we find technology that reduces, I would say, the the demand for caregiving? And there's some hope in that, maybe some wild expectations. But if you think back to the kinds of jobs that family caregivers do, it starts with something called IADLs, Instrumental Activities of Daily Living. They're just chores. You know, it's transportation. It's banking, finances. It's um, meals, shopping, meals, things of that sort. A lot of that technology has already helped. 
So you have your social security check automatically deposited in the bank. Years ago, a family member had to go get it out of your mailbox and get you to sign it and take it to a bank. That doesn't happen anymore. So that's one example. There's microwaves for meals. There's, there's food delivery. There are things that now are helping reduce the demand, at least in that area. Transportation is the next big thing. What can we do around transportation? Because the family caregivers will tell you that is one of their most challenging issues. How do I get my mother to the doctor? Mm -hmm. Because I'm working. So I'm going to have to leave work. Do I have sick leave to do this? It brings you into the policy arena, right? But even so, you've got to get them ready. You've got to go this. So if we have better transportation and even more technology around telehealth. Mm -hmm. So if you have telehealth and can at least reduce some of the need for actually leaving the house, that reduces the demand for family caregivers to do this. Let so me go those back are to just the, some examples. Yeah, yeah, and and some great examples. What? Let me go back to the transportation piece of that. Is there anything in the works right now that you can tell us about that, you know, people are trying to... Well, they're trying to use Ubers and Lyft. Okay, okay. You know, can that be done? How can that be done? Some healthcare systems are creating their own um, transportation systems that will go and get you and bring you back. <clears throat> I remember I saw Kaiser doing that a little while ago. And when you sit in the seat and hold on to, they are they're already taking your blood pressure, your pulse. It's it's pretty amazing wow. the technology that's being built into transportation within a healthcare system. Huh. That's an example there. And of course, there's you know when you get into the complex care medications there's better technology to deliver the medications to remind you about taking the medic call you by name right. you know susan it's time to take your medication and then ping it t pops out mm -hmm. you know and it's the right one yeah. or the pill packs that are out there mm -hmm. that uh now i don't know who owns it anymore but there was they put for in the morning all the pills you're supposed to take in the morning in that right. as opposed to trying to put that all into the little cases for monday tuesday wednesday yeah. this is just delivered from the pharmacy that way that's a huge help uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah so there's lots of it seems small mm -hmm. but those tasks add up yeah. and safety enters into it then they're taking the right pills at the right time and and you're not even there. Hopefully, they can take it themselves. If Takes you a little, do have to, then there's a little bit another, of the stress yeah, yeah, off yeah, of the yeah. caregiver. Yep. What are your thoughts about the the future of caregiving um, in terms of how healthcare organizations, businesses, government, and um, and family caregivers can work together to better support the caregiver? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the employer space is really important because some you know most of them are employed, and there are we have seen employers stepping up. We did work with the Northwest business group on health and uh, have identified some promising practices that they have been some organizations have been doing to support like giving them more sick leave giving them caregiver leave mm -hmm. that's a, the latest new benefit ARP has started to do that first of all can you use your sick leave to care for someone not just yourself that's the first first of all do you have sick leave right. then can you use it to care for someone else then do you have caregiver leave where it's very explicitly, and that's you know that's a big step that family that uh, employers can do. But then also making these tools available to caregivers and making them feel safe enough to ask, mm -hmm. and not that you're going to pass me over for a promotion, or if I, if you you don't see me, you're going to assume that I don't care about my job. Those are some of the concerns of employed caregivers that we really have to make sure employers are making it safe for people to acknowledge that they have these challenges. But employed, employed caregivers care very much about their jobs. Sure. Yes, they Whether need those jobs. Whether you're a caregiver and, exactly. or not, 
it's you know and or just taking them to uh to you know doctor's appointments without even you know constantly being in the home mm-hmm. so our two big areas of focus now are employers and health systems not that there aren't other places sure but those are two big places to okay. start okay well you have your work cut out for you i think so <laughs> <laughs> susan reinhardt senior vice president and director of aarp public policy institute thank you so much for being here with us today you're welcome it's delightful Quick reminder that this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health is brought to you by Accenture, helping health insurers transform with intelligent automation. Did you know that artificial intelligence solutions can unlock billions of dollars in value for payers? To learn which six capability areas can generate the most value from AI, visit Accenture.com backslash AHIP to see the latest research from Accenture and to download the free Intelligent Payer Survival Guide. All right, let's bring back in the uh, president and CEO of America's Health Insurance Plans, Matt Isles. At AHIP, Matt leads the association toward fulfilling its mission of expanding access to affordable health care to all Americans through a competitive marketplace that fosters choice, quality, and innovation. So, Matt, when we spoke with Susan Reinhardt, she talked about the growing number of caregivers in the U.S. And as of 2015, there were nearly 40 million adults caring for an adult loved one. And the demographics of caregivers is really changing, too, right now. So the stats, according to the stats, many are millennials and 40 percent are men. So I know, Matt, you've seen this industry from all angles professionally, whether you're working with pharmaceutical companies for the federal government or as a consultant to health plans. But I'm curious um, about your personal experience and with the healthcare industry and whether or not you've had a personal experience caring for a family or friend. And can you tell us about that? Sure. Thanks, Laura. Um, I think we've all had to take care of a friend or a family member at some point. And, you know, I think back to the situation with my son a couple of years ago when he had a very serious foot condition. Now, fortunately, he's fine now, and uh, you know we can look back on it and say you know it all turned out great. But he had a seriously deformed foot that required some major reconstructive surgery, and it was a very complicated, a little bit scary uh, situation. And trying to figure out how was this all going to turn out, who were the right doctors that we needed to see, what was the best path forward and you know watching that progression especially with a a 13 year old boy and just seeing it through his eyes and what he was experiencing and the fear that he had about undergoing surgery and how it was all going to turn out has really shaped how i think about the healthcare system and health insurance companies and providers in particular and the role that we need to play in the healthcare system especially as these numbers grow and as we have more caregivers in the united states right i mean the demographic trends are undeniable right our our society is getting older we need more care um, and as a result, uh, whether you're millennial, Gen X, or uh, male, female, you probably have a family member or a friend who's in need of some kind of assistance. And it can be a really challenging situation for families to manage, thinking about work, making sure people get to their appointments, um, what's going to be covered, how much am I going to pay, right? It can be a really stressful situation. And I think um, health insurance providers have really changed their mindset over the past few years about ways that they can help caregivers because they realize they're on the front lines dealing with individuals who are sick facing significant challenges 
and how do we make sure that they get the care that they need so that they can stay healthy, they can stay in their home, um, they can have the best outcome possible. So how can we make it easier for those caregivers to do their jobs and support them in this journey? Right. I think it's, it, uh, you know, it, it's a little trite to say, but it takes a village. It's going to take all of us to work together, health insurance providers with um, uh, uh, physicians, nurses, caregivers, social supports. Um, thinking creatively and innovatively about how do we make sure that we provide the flexibility, um, whether it's employees need to go help uh, be a caregiver, whether it's um, health insurance providers to be able to offer new and innovative treatment services in, in the home that we haven't traditionally done. Um, it's going to take all of us really thinking differently about the healthcare system. And I know you've had experience both inside and outside of the government. Are there policies or legislations that we legislation that we should be thinking about and looking at to support these caregivers? Absolutely. I think uh, you know the flexibility that we've seen recently um, in Medicare Advantage from the federal government um, to really enable and empower Medicare Advantage plans to offer these types of support services, respite care other types of innovative um, programs that you wouldn't traditionally associate with a health insurance provider. Um, right? You might think about that with respect to social services supports or other government agencies. But I think the federal government um, has recognized that the importance of getting into the home where people sort of receive care, need care, uh, the types of flexibilities um, in that system are, are really have the potential to be profoundly helpful um, going mm -hmm. forward. And you mentioned innovation and programs, but Susan had talked about um, the next big thing in caregiving is, uh, is technology and innovation um, and how we can use those technologies to kind of overcome the transportation challenges that many caregivers and their loved ones are facing. So what kind of new innovations um, from your perspective are we seeing in the transportation sector to make life a little bit easier? Right. I think it, it's one of the fastest growing uh, sections in terms of how we see innovation coming about because of uh, companies like Uber and Lyft obviously transforming the way that we think about transportation. It's flowing down to health insurance providers as well to figure out how can we get individuals, whether you're in Medicare, on Medicaid, um, to get to the doctor if you need transportation or you need other types of supports. And so they're working with those types of companies to say, how can we leverage your capabilities to make sure that we're getting a better health outcome, getting people into the physician's office and other care settings? Um, it's, and, and we also see um, health insurance providers just investing in it themselves as organizations and, and mobile options to get people from one place to another, whether it's to a clinic to an infusion center, or to other places that we know are going to lead to a better outcome. Yeah, and again, as our population is aging, these are very important conversations to have. So uh, appreciate your perspective on that. Thanks, Matt. This episode of The Next Big Thing in Health has been brought to you by Accenture, helping health insurers transform with intelligent automation. Visit Accenture.com backslash AHIP to download the free Intelligent Payer Survival Guide. To find out the top three business areas where payers can generate near-term value from artificial intelligence, visit Accenture.com backslash AHIP to see the latest research from Accenture. And be sure to follow hashtag IntelligentPayer on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health, a podcast from America's health insurance plans. We want to thank Susan Reinhardt, Senior Vice President and Director of AARP Public Policy Institute. Thanks for joining us, Susan. And remember to subscribe to The Next Big Thing in Health on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend and give us some feedback with your rating and review. Thanks for tuning in.